You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. Welcome, everyone. In this episode of Q&A Over Coffee podcast, our esteemed guest is Gino Fragnito, Director of Government Relations for the Minnesota Society of CPAs. Here's, he's here with us to discuss advocacy on behalf of CPAs and, in the government and current and upcoming legislative changes that may, in fact, may impact uh, taxpayers and CPAs. Uh, first, tell us a little bit about your background and your role at the uh, Minnesota Society of CPAs. Uh, certainly, and before we start, thank you for the opportunity to uh, come in and chat with you a little bit today about what's going on in the profession as it relates to the legislature and regulations and policy. So I'm I've been with the state society a little over 18 years now, have been involved in government relations. I think 1990 was the first legislative session that I was staff. So I've been around the Capitol quite a few years and have seen many changes, some good, some bad, some indifferent. But the role that I currently have advocating on behalf of the CPA profession involves a lot of time at the Capitol, meeting with legislators, meeting with the Department of Revenue, meeting with the Board of Accountancy, really any state agency that has some type of interaction with the CPA profession. Going back a little further, did was your major in college, did you uh, do um, poli-sci or what was it, uh, you know, when you're young Gino coming coming through the ranks, so what, were you, what was your major and what were you, you know, how did you kind of end up with the government relations role? So young Gino actually does have some poli-sci background through college and had the, the plan of going on to law school. And when I graduated from college, wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go. Ended up doing an internship at the Capitol and just over the course of time kind of fell into the advocacy role and representing right now the, the CPA profession. Sure. So maybe maybe stumbled into it a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. P- planned but stumbled, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. But that's a lot of, a lot of people get their start as like interns, right? Like working at, working for a uh, representative or a senator and part of their, their staff and that's how they kind of get into that realm, right? Yeah, there are a lot of people that that's correct how they do get their start. They have an internship or maybe they'll work as a part-time staff or they'll maybe work on a campaign. I didn't do any campaign work, but I did do some part-time work and worked as staff as well at the Capitol. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between, um, you know, some of the, uh, in our profession, especially on the exempt organization side, we, we, we talk about uh, l- direct lobbying or the, di- the distinction between lobbying and we'll just say like legislative advocacy. Uh, I suppose in your role, you're probably wearing both of those, both of those hats at different times. I, I, I do wear both hats, and, and I think everybody wears those hats themselves individually, just may not recognize it as, as lobbying. I, I could equate lobbying to, say, for example, when you were in college or in high school and you received a, a B- minus on that paper and really thought it should be a B, or you received <laughs> that B plus and really thought it should be an A-. minus. That you took the opportunity to go talk with the teacher, and that was advocating or lobbying on behalf of yourself. And so, it, it's the, the, there are some similarities, but in, in terms of lobbying, that usually is associated with people who are paid to represent a cause or an organization or a group of organizations to advance their causes. 
And advocacy is part of that, but advocacy can also be a everyday person who shows up at the Capitol because they've got an issue that they wish to relay the, to the legislator or they wish to engage in that conversation and they're there to try and make a difference for whatever their cause is, or it could be their individual situation that they're looking to change. So if you were, if you were, for instance, testifying in front of a committee, a Senate committee or House committee, that would be considered typically? For me, it's considered lobbying because I'm registered with the state of Minnesota and considered a lobbyist. But for any of your businesses or your clients of the firm, that would be considered advocacy. They're there to tell their story, their individual story, and perhaps when they're able to relay, this is how this change will affect my business. That that would be advocacy. When it kind of changes over to lobbying is when you say, and I think you should support this bill. So then it kind of shifts into that we're lobbying them to take a certain position versus I'm sharing my story. This is how this change would either negatively or positively affect my business. Sure. Almost uh, kind of like a call to action maybe or yeah. kind of along those lines. So, by the way, joining us today is Val Arndt. Welcome, Val. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Um, so a question I have right off the bat, you know, is so as an advocate for CPAs, how do you really keep your finger on the pulse of how CPAs are feeling, what their concerns are, what their needs are? There are several avenues. We have a legislative committee at the Minnesota Society that is made up of members from various segments of the profession, you know, public and industry, audit and tax, and just a wide variety of individuals. So that's one area. It's, it's interesting, their perspectives and they that they bring to the conversation and will bring ideas that they've heard from either their colleagues or their businesses or their clients to say this is something we should look at. I also receive emails and phone calls from members of the society who have clients or businesses where they've run into situations and they're not quite sure where to go or, or how to address it. So we'll work through what the best avenue might be there. We also have members who are connected through various civic organizations, through whatever community organizations they're involved with, where they also hear ideas or thoughts or concerns that other groups are facing. And how can we perhaps help? Maybe we take the lead on it. Is it something that the CPA profession might want to take the lead on and try to make a change? So I just want to share a little article quick, Val. Um, last year, there was a significant federal tax conformity law that was signed at the beginning of the session. And then this was by Carolee Lindsay from Mahoney. I thought it was a prank, the voicemail I received January 11th from Gino Fragnito, Minnesota CPA Director of Government Relations. It couldn't be true, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that moment last year? Yeah, sure. That was a kind of a, a surreal moment. Uh, they passed a federal conformity bill the second week of January, which was the earliest ever. Usually the conformity bill or a tax bill does not pass until the end of the session. It's held back for various reasons. Things end up in the tax bill where they may need to raise revenue or they find things where they're, they're needing to make a tweak. And so the fact that they addressed federal conformity early in the session was, I, I think, in part to the 
continued effort of the CPA Society and our members to stress to legislators how important it is for tax law certainty when filing taxes. So we were able to have that bill passed in January of last year. It wasn't the, the big tax bill, but it was a significant tax bill. I think it was over $100 million in tax relief for those businesses that were affected. And that then led to some conversations about it. it is a big deal. And so we reached out and asked for a, a signing, a ceremonial signing uh, from the governor. And I thought it was a long shot, but it didn't hurt to ask. It was record pace. It was a big deal. It was something that there was strong bipartisan support. It was a great way to start the session. And so it, it turned into that bill signing that Carolee that you referenced in the article was able to attend and she does chair our legislative committee. And so that was the role she was in at the signing. Yeah. I remember I was just as surprised as everybody, just because the fact that that happened so quickly at the beginning of the session, the, certainly the, the budget surplus at the time certainly helped probably get that through, but that was a, that was a shock for most of us. That's something that happened with that kind of support right at the beginning of the session. So and it happened at the beginning of the session. The, the state budget forecast comes out at the end of February. And so because they passed it in January, that money that they were projecting would have come in had they not changed the law wasn't included in that forecast, which made it a little bit easier as oh, well. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, timing. <laughs> so if we just take it back a step, talking about these bills like the federal conformity bill. So how do they go from a bill to a law? from that initial idea to being passed. Can you just talk us through that process for our listeners who might be unaware? Yes. It starts out with somebody who has an idea and they will take it to a legislator. Here's the idea I have. Let's draft a bill, put it into a bill introduction, and then they start the committee process. It can be anything from a, a simple bill to a, hundreds of pages, a, a complex bill. And they all start with somebody's idea, and they'll they have staff at the Capitol who works with the legislators to draft them, and they'll work with the interested parties, such as the CPA Society or other advocacy groups who have an interest in the subject, to try and draft a bill that is workable and is able to pass. So then from that point, they will have committee hearings where individuals in addition to lobbyists and associations and legislators have an opportunity to talk about how that particular bill would affect them and it, whether that's good or bad in their view. From there, there's an opportunity for legislators to amend it and make changes. After they hear testimony, somebody will perhaps say, well, that works, but it doesn't quite work exactly how you think it works. So we think maybe if we change this sentence, it will have a much better result and people will be a lot happier. So then it goes through the amendment process. And once it reaches a point where people agree on the language, there are a couple ways that it could actually become law. One is they could pass the bill as a standalone bill by itself, where it just addresses one change, one fix, something new, creates something new. Or it could be part of a, a larger, what they consider and call an omnibus bill, which is a catch-all bill at the end of the session. And the tax bill is usually an omnibus bill that there are many, many, many tax law changes that are included in one tax bill that ultimately is voted on as a package rather than each of those individually. 
I remember last year it was uh, just just remembering from from the news and just talking to some people who are a little more involved in, in the process that it was kind of a it was a very active session, a lot of testimony, a lot of uh, being on call or short notice <laughs> to come down to the Capitol provide testimony. Was was I mean how did last session um, you know relate and kind of the just busyness of a previous in the last year was all back in person, um, et cetera. You know, a few years there, it was mostly it was remote. But just tell us a little bit about the pace of last year's session. Uh, last year was fast paced. Uh, they hit the ground like it, we talked about a few minutes ago. They hit the ground running with a federal conformity bill the second week of January, and they didn't slow down until the session ended the third Monday in May. And so. The pace was quick and it was constant and there was a lot of moving parts and trying to keep up with the moving parts and trying to figure out who's on first basically was, was a little bit tricky, but it was also nice to be back in person where you're able to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and catch people in between meetings and be able to try and shape the policy that way rather than hoping like we had to during the pandemic that somebody would actually click on the link and show up to the virtual meeting. You know, the, there was a, a different dynamic, but it was, I, I, I don't think that much faster paced than pre-pandemic. It just was, people were not used to it. And it was that kind of getting your sea legs again, similar to that drive in the first snow. You know, you've done it many times, but it's once you get back into the routine and start yeah. back at it, it works out well. Before Val hops back on, I'm just curious, this at a high level, um, any, uh, you know, this, this session that's coming up starts February 12th, I believe, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, February 12th to May 20th, is that the... Uh, May 20th is the constitutional deadline, constitutional yes. Constitutional deadline, and typically this this uh, this part of the biennium is usually the, the bond, what they call the bonding bill. But well, what else might be happening on, on this session, um, this upcoming session? Well, there is talk that they will have a tax bill right out of the gate that first week of February, maybe the second week of February, to address the standard deduction error that was in the tax bill last year. And they also, it sounds like, will include a fix for the drafting on the NOLs that were not drafted correctly in the tax bill last year. So I would expect we'll see a quick tax bill to address those. The state doesn't have any money to play with like they did the last session where they they've said that basically there's an 82 million dollar surplus which could you know depending on the market and where the economy goes could be gone in the blink of an eye so i would not expect that we'll see significant opportunities for new programs for additional funding uh, unless there also is an appetite for increased revenue sources, which for your listeners means more taxes. And so yeah, yeah. unless the legislature is willing to do that, I don't see an opportunity for them to really go down new programs, additional supplemental budgets for state agencies. But they will be looking at a capital bonding bill, which the governor laid out his plan, which was close to a billion dollars. The Senate and House, I'm sure, will have competing plans as well. And where they land will be someplace around there, I would guess, but that would be a primary focus. And it is a legislative session before an election, so they will be looking at everything through the, the lens of an election as well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let the uh, politics begin. So we're talking about the impact some of these 
tax law changes have on the actual taxpayers. So can you talk a little bit about that, of, of where the taxpayers really see a big impact on some of these sessions that you've seen in the past? Or is it kind of more an impact on the actual CPA firms? And how does that relationship come into play? Well, a lot of what we work on really, if you step back from it, doesn't directly affect the CPA. It really affects the businesses that they work for or the clients that they represent. And so in terms of tax law, yes, there is some benefit when you start to look at you know partnership structures and taxing partnerships and things like that. It can have some effect on the CPA firm. But when you start looking at things like the, the pass-through entity tax, for example, that was something that originated with our some of our members. They thought it was a good idea and came to the Capitol. And it kind of grew from there and the coalition grew. And we ultimately ended up with the pass-through entity legislation to address the, the salt cap issue. Uh, we have things like Section 179, where you know Section 179 took almost 10 years to pass. It was that we had bills every year and every year. So it's that consistency, it's that showing up, it's that repetitiveness that ultimately ended up passing that bill. So those are the types of things where the taxpayer or or the clients or the businesses that your firm works with would feel that direct impact. And you know, a lot of these issues, I, I think, um, and I could be wrong, but you know, a lot of these might have bipartisan support because <laughs> small businesses are in every district. It doesn't matter if it's it's in middle downtown Minneapolis or in Chicago, Minnesota. They they all have small businesses that that have you know it, that have troubles and trying to conform with the regulations and things. So um, small businesses are, are wide <laughs> a wide range of businesses and represent you know under a lot of representation. I support our economy. I mean, the, Minnesota is held up by small businesses. And so there is a lot of bipartisan support. It's the old adage that the media never reports anything positive. You know, all you hear about is the negative. And so usually when you hear something on the news, it's that the sides were not agreeing, that they were fighting about something. But a majority of the things they work on there is bipartisan support. Um, so if you're not at the Capitol during a session, how, how, how much are you watching on uh, Twin Cities Public Television? <laughs> I, Those days you might not be there in person. No, or... I, I pay a fair amount of attention to what's going on. And, you know, we the, the lobbying community is relatively small. And so you hear from your colleagues and peers who are you know, in coalitions that you're part of or attend different events. And so it's that continuous ear to the ground where it's maybe not necessarily at the Capitol interacting with legislators, but throughout the the course of the, I'll call it the off season, all of us are individually having meetings with legislators. And you may hear something that, well, not relevant to what you're working on, you know that it affects one of the clients that somebody else that you work with is representing. So it, it's all a continuous conversation. Yeah. And I suppose part of that too is that each session, you're you're meeting. There's there's new, and I don't think the last one is particularly large. There was just a lot of retire, you know, uh, experience going out the door with retirements. A lot of new legislators, new senators, getting getting them up to speed and educating them on 
how this works from our, you know, stance from our profession, et cetera? Well, there was the last election, there was 68 new legislators. And if you go back a cycle to the previous election, there's over a hundred who had never met with anybody in person because of the pandemic. So trying to introduce, I'll just use the the society and the CPA profession to a hundred new people, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort. And it's an ongoing process where you, you might get five minutes here, you might get five minutes there, but trying to introduce them takes time. Yeah. And yeah, just tons of education there. Yes. Yeah. And I recently heard a statistic that based on the people who have already announced retirement for this coming year, that there will be less than 40 legislators who were in office the last time we had a budget deficit. And so, you know, out of 201, over uh, roughly 160 have never experienced a deficit or know what that's like or have had to go through that budget process or the telling people no. And so it will be a, a different dynamic when and if, or we, I guess we, it's more, not if, it's when we'll face yep. a, <laughs> another budget deficit. So in your role specifically, Gino, any more success stories you want to share about how you as an advocate kind of played a role in, in helping folks out and, and legislation you help see through? One that I like to share with people, because it's not something you would ever hear about, but it does relate in, we had talked about where legislation directly affects the CPA or the profession. About 10 years ago, there was an effort that would have required CPAs to become licensed as private detectives if they were doing forensic accounting, because that was considered investigative work. And we at the society felt that if you are doing your job as a CPA, why would you need to be licensed as a private detective? So that was a situation where we changed the law to exempt CPAs who are licensed by the Board of Accountancy and doing work that's within the normal scope of their practice from needing to be licensed as a private detective. So that that I bring up just because that was a, a fun one. Yeah. It was one where it, it directly affected the CPA profession and didn't matter what side of the profession you were working on, if you were in public practice or if you were doing perhaps internal audit and doing some forensic accounting at, at a company that they would require you to become a private detective. So that was that was one that I, I enjoyed working on. We have a couple of people on our team here that do some forensic work and one of them is our, our a regular host, Adam Hedden, and I think he'd be, I think he's bummed that, that he, you know, I'm sure he wanted to be a detective at some point, but, but wasn't, I can you know, see him given that, that opportunity yeah. to do so, so. <laughs> well, he, he still can. There's nothing preventing <laughs> him from it. it. It's just not required of him. Well, I had never even heard of that little fix. So that, or yeah. That, 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 that's a cool deal. Yeah. Obviously, um, relationship with Minnesota uh, State Board of Accountants, he's a close one, um, very collegial from what my understanding. Um, just tell us a little bit of the dynamics of that relationship between the society and the State Board of Accountancy. The, the society and the State Board of Accountancy do have a, a good relationship. We work well together, but we also have different charges. They are charged with being the regulator, and we are charged with you know, advocating for the profession. So we, we do have some differences, but at the end of the day, we work 
together quite well to move forward legislation. We've worked with them on several pieces of legislation to make changes where they've asked for our support or needed our support to make a, a particular change. One is related to the upcoming changes on the CPA exam window, where the state, state of Minnesota will be going to 36 months. And we had pushed for 36 months. They were at 30. We made a good case, and we ended up at 36 based on Minnesota's current regulatory structure. Other states will have 30, but they have different circumstances. So there are opportunities for us to work together. They have you know, that oversight where they are sanctioning individuals who are licensed and decide that they, for whatever reason, are not going to follow a particular law. That's something that the board ha is charged with, and we sometimes don't necessarily agree with their interpretation of what somebody did, but we ultimately have to work with them and, and respect their, their opinions and their decisions on the outcomes. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a, you know the CPAs are always uh, we're always looking at the newsletter to see which CPA you know didn't do a proper job of renewing their license and those kind of things. <laughs> if they went inactive or, or if they were they're um, still active, but you know have disciplinary issues. Um, and and the disciplinary issues range from simple things like they didn't renew on time, or were five CPE credits short and they have to go back and and pay a fine to. Also, situations where people have embezzled tens of millions of dollars from clients in their fiduciary role. So it, it's a wide spectrum of what the board deals with. Sure. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit what's upcoming. I can't make it per usual. I'm traveling. Uh, CPA Day at the Hill. I think it's in uh, late February. Uh, CPA Day at the Capitol is February 29th this year. We decided to go with February 29th just because it's a a leap day, and why not? It sounded fun. Uh, I've not had a good track record picking days. We have either the coldest day or a blizzard, or last year it was canceled because of a blizzard. So I'm optimistic with where we are in the, the weather this year that we should be okay come the end of February. But I, I will attend that one of these years. It's some of this, <laughs> but I, I often uh, intersects with the travel. I'm going to be out of town in Indiana so, uh, at a client site that week. But I have gone to the Minnesota Chambers Day at the the Capitol or Day at the Hill, whatever it's called, and uh, it was nice. I mean, I got to meet my my local legislator at, at the time. I was down in, in Lakeville, and so got to go in his office and visit with him for a little while. Um, and just kind of like my own little experience with the legislation, and was not related to uh, accounting or, or tax, but a number of years ago there was a uh, a, a bill um, was being discussed or to be voted on regarding uh, increasing fishing license. Fees. I think they were like $16 at the time, and I think it was to bump them up to 20 something like that. So I'm an avid outdoorsman, so I, I definitely supported this measure, you know, keeping the DNR funding whole. And saw an article somewhere that this was happening, so I actually wrote a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a template letter, it was my own personal letter uh, to my representative at the time, support, you know, supporting the, the, the passage of this bill to increase the, increase the funding. And I drafted this letter, and I ended up sending it to her, um, via email. And, uh, I got a, a nice response from her. She, she indicated she was pretty conservative, but she indicated that typically she didn't want to support things that were fee increases, but you know, she, she really appreciated my letter. And I think, I think she actually did vote yes on that provision. Uh, interesting thing was I also shared this with the, um, uh, fan outdoors on Thursday night, uh, with, um, uh, Rod Dries Island and, and uh, 
Billy Hildebrand, and they actually read my letter on air uh, to, to the listeners of, of that program. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and those are the little things that make a difference. You know, legislators really want to hear what's going on on Main Street. I'm there every day. They see me every day. They see other lobbyists every day. But at, at the end of their day, they want us to tell them, what do people in my district think? How is this affecting Main Street? How is this affecting the average person who's out trying to take their kids fishing or out a day in the field hunting? So they, those types of interactions are very important, and they're much more impactful than people give them credit for, I think. Yeah. And I think this reminder for the listeners, too, is that, you know, our legislators are our neighbors. They, they live in the towns we live in. They're, they're accessible. They're approachable. They, uh, they might, you know, knock on your door every two years uh, when they're running for office, but they are, it's not, you know, they're, they're your neighbors. So it's, um, and, and they only know what, you know, just like all of us, they don't know what they don't know. So the more education can be provided and those nice, just little in-person visits um, are, are, are valuable. But I always tell people, we, we all network and try to build a professional network. Uh, why would you not want to include your legislator? Even if you don't agree with them, they set the rules that you play by every day. So why not know them and at least try to talk to them about those rules that they're setting? Are there any other easy ways for people to get involved? I know you talked about the CPA Day at the Hill, you know, writing a letter, we can call in. Are there any other really simple ways that people can do right now? Well, for the businesses and your clients, I always encourage them, invite your local legislator out to your company. Have them spend an hour or two with you and see your process, see your employees to really get a sense of what it is you're working with. Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to send them an email, make a phone call, but it's when they're out and can touch things and ask questions, it's much more impactful. And I've had a, a few people take me up on that and they've followed up afterwards with an email and said, that was amazing. I, I didn't even know that was an option. And so that's, that's a simple thing that people can do. Invite them out, teach them, going back to what you, you had said, that they're your neighbor. They, they don't know, they can know everything, but they want to know as much as they can. So give them the opportunity. And all their contact information is all on the, the website. It's, you know, email mm -hmm. address and address, et cetera, right? So it, it's all there. <laughs> and if you're on social media, many of them are on social media as well. And you can Instagram or it's not Twitter anymore. It's X, I guess. But <laughs> yep. what, whatever your choice of social media is to connect with them as well. So kind of go back to the day at, day at the Capitol for the, on, the, on the leap day, February 29th, extra business day this year for everybody. Um, what... Um, you know, what kind of audience are you expecting? How many CPAs do you think we're going to show up? Um, what 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 would we be talking about specifically? Well, I, I wish I could tell you how many. It's not having had it in person for the last four years. I'm your guess is as good as mine. I I would ideally like to have you know fill the room and have a couple hundred people show up. But I also know that the end of February is starting to hit the heart of tax season, and trying to pull people away from the office for a day is difficult as well. So. I'm not sure what the the numbers will be. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that will match what we have had in years past, but it may be a situation where we're trying to rebuild a little bit as well. But as far as the topics we'll be looking at, the pathway to CPA licensure and alternate pathways will be top of the list for us at the society. That's a, turned into a, a national discussion. We have been working for a number of years trying to implement a private letter ruling program in Minnesota to provide some 
assurance and some guidance on the front end for businesses who are looking to take a tax position and look at where the department might come down and to provide that guidance for them. We'll also be looking at the Minnesota tax court rulings and how those apply to the Department of Revenue. There was a recent Supreme Court case, the city's management case, where the justices on both the majority and the dissenting opinion were, were troubled by some of the actions of the Department of Revenue. So we'll be looking to perhaps make some changes legislatively that way. And then I'm always on the lookout for tax on professional services. I know it's been a number of years since we've had a threat, but given where the state is right now fiscally and that the last budget forecast, they said that there's a structural imbalance. To me, that means deficit perhaps in the future. So either they'll need to cut or they'll need to come up with new revenue sources and tax on professional services is a big source of revenue that has not been tapped. Well, things change quickly in a couple of years, you know, from projected significant budget surplus to uh, what you've kind of mentioned. So uh, we'll be closing out here soon, but I got a couple couple of questions. Uh, speaking of budget surpluses, um, is that have you watched the uh, public television special on Jesse Ventura yet, Governor Ventura? I have not watched it in its entirety. I've seen clips of it, and it's a fascinating story. It is, yeah. I, I would encourage our listeners to watch that. It's on uh, Twin Cities Public Television, but uh, Mary LaHammer, I think, is the, is, is the producer of it. So it's pretty entertaining just to kind of go back through memory lane <laughs> to the late 90s. So, Okay, and with that, um, last question is we like to ask this. Um, what is in your cup? Just meaning, you know, personally or professionally, might be what you're having to drink, some water or coffee or just... Uh, What's going on with you right you. now? What's yeah. in your cup? Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> Well, right now it's gearing up for what's going on at the Capitol. That's kind of where, where my energy is focused. But you know, in the off season, uh, I, I enjoy uh, the, the good old fashioned. I enjoy uh, trying making new forms and trying different mixes for that. They, that's what's in my cup at home sometimes at, in the evening is a, a, a good old fashioned that I've made. And I love it, that. I'm from Wisconsin, so always with the old fashioned, yeah. Now, I can't remember, what's, what, is Wisconsin old-fashioned, is that contained, is it brandy? Is that versus bourbon? I can't remember the distinction. Yeah, brandy is what we do in Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I do bourbon, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Slight difference. Yeah, a little bit, but. Yeah. I like to add a little maple syrup to mine, which I which I do uh, make recreationally, but I know some of the trees are running now. I'm not going to do it. This it's, it's too early in the season, so. Any other closing thoughts you want to leave our listeners with, Gino? Well, I, I would just encourage you to, is off-putting as politics can be sometimes that at the local level, well, yes, there is the disagreement. It's not as involved in terms of your time, but the payoff is significant because everything is local and you're affected by what takes place on a local level, level whether it be at the state, the county, or your local city level. Politics is local, as they say. Yes, so. it is. With that, we're going to close to, uh, today's session, so to speak, on time, a little bit over budget, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks much, Gino, for your time today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck uh, with the upcoming session. Thank get, you. Get some sleep now. Thank you. Check out all of our Q&A over coffee episodes on the Olson Thielen website. 
This is also the place you can go to be notified of any new episodes and submit your suggestions for future topics. You can also find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Be sure to follow Olson Thielen on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.